Thank you, Pastor Jason. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Glad that you're here this morning. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving. Pretty good. Kids, what was the favorite thing that you had to eat during Thanksgiving? Anything? Yeah. A lot of turkey, a lot of... Oh, pumpkin pie. Yeah, that's one of my favorites as well. I'm Pastor Dean, the discipleship pastor here. Just want to welcome all of you on this post-Thanksgiving Sunday. Thanks for joining us, being a part of uh, this very, very special day. Uh, kids, by the way, I hope you have, as Pastor Jason said, I hope you have your writing things, your coloring things, and, and I happen to have the answers to the word sheet uh, searched on the back. So if you need them, come and see me after service. I'll be able to pass those on to you. You know, growing up as a, a kindergartner uh, you know, in, in elementary school, like some of you, back way back in the 1960s, way, I mean, way, way back, and then uh, in high school and college, in the 70s, uh, I enjoyed listening to and singing uh, some rock music and pop music, and I actually joined the Columbia Tape Club and a cassette tape. So you had these little plastic things with tape on the inside that had the music, and they'd get stuck in your player, and then they'd unwind, and you'd have tape all over the place. But I had a bunch of them and had a lot of good groups that I listened to, but one of my favorites was Simon and Garfunkel. And Simon and Garfunkel had a lot of great uh, songs throughout the course of the 60s and 70s in particular. But in 1971, they had the number one song in America. And it was A Bridge Over Troubled Water. Story of someone who is going to provide safety and security for a loved one, even sacrifice for them because of their love and care for them. Our passage today, just one verse, our passage today uh, will serve as a bridge. It is a bridge between Jesus in chapters 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John that we've been looking at over these last five weeks, and chapter 17, which is his prayer, his prayer for himself, his prayer for his disciples, and his prayer for the world. And it is that prayer that will allow those promises to come to fruition. And so this is the bridge over the troubled water uh, that Jesus is going to bring for us today. And Jesus impressed upon his disciples as he was speaking to them and upon you and me today that he and his word are the bridge over the troubled waters that we may face in life But in doing so, we're going to find uh, that he is our safety. He is our security because of the sacrifice he is going to make. So his promise this morning to us in this passage, really this bridge passage is threefold. One, that we as his disciples will be evidencing evidencing a, a peace in our life. Second of all, that we'll be enduring tribulation. And thirdly, that we will be experiencing victory. Those key words this morning, peace, tribulation, and victory. You want to keep those in mind. And the idea being that whatever tribulation, whatever trial, test, temptation, troubled water we may be going through, we can have peace because of the victory that Jesus brings and that we can have in him. What a great promise that is. And if you're sitting out here and you're wondering about that peace, peace even when you've lost a loved one, peace when you're struggling with physical or 
mental or emotional, even spiritual challenges in your life. When you're facing a a difficult work or financial situation, when you've got uh, kids that are unruly or teens that rebel or adult children that make bad decisions. Maybe when you're a, a young kiddo who's being spoken to unkindly at school or even bullied, or maybe when your parents make mistakes, as they might do. Whatever that is, whatever those troubles are, uh, the Lord has a great word for us today that we can have peace in that victory because of what Jesus has done. So only one verse, and I want to see if we can kind of memorize it. Some of you may have it down already. So just repeat after me as I share the verse with you, all right? John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's good, that's good. We'll try one more time, a little longer on phrases right here. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That is our passage, our bridge over troubled waters today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We ask that you would help us to understand the promises that the Lord Jesus gave us and by your spirit apply them to our lives. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, first of all, Jesus said, he promises us in this passage that we will, as his disciples, be evidencing peace, evidencing peace. These things I have said to you that in me you may have peace. These things. Well, what are the things that Jesus is talking about? Well, it's what he's been speaking to his disciples in chapters 14, 15, 16, and what we've been going through over the past five weeks. What are some of those? Just to bring to reminder what we've been looking at, that you will have truth in a skeptical world. You'll have answered prayer in a critical world. You can have a helper in the midst of an isolated world. You'll have significance and fruit in a materialistic world. And as Pastor Jason talked about last week, you can have joy in a painful world. All of those things are the things Jesus has been speaking. He says that in me, that is the key, that is the key in him. We abiding in Jesus, Jesus what? Abiding in us. Two weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching and John 15, five was one of the verses. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He or she who abides in me will bear much fruit. For what? Without me, you can do a few things. No, you can do nothing. We have to abide in him, he in us. But Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Peace is what? Yes, it's the absence of conflict. We want that for our world, don't we? 
But peace is also a calmness in the midst of conflict. And Jesus wants us to understand that, that we would have peace. And ultimately, that peace comes from only one source, and that's the grace of Christ himself. Christ's grace gives us peace. The Apostle Paul knew that, didn't he? Uh, He experienced that. And when you think about Paul and kids, when you think about maybe some of the stories of the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, he articulated, he enumerated all of the different things he had gone through. Five different occasions he was lashed with 39 lashes. Three times he was stoned. Uh, One time he was, three times he was shipwrecked. One of those times he was left for dead, floating on the water a day and a night. He said, I have trouble with rivers and robbers. I have sleepless nights. I'm in hunger and thirst. I'm in cold and exposure. All those things, we remember Apostle Paul said that, and yet he had peace. Because Jesus came to him one time and says, my what? Grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. He knew that Christ's grace gave him peace. And he wanted to share that with the churches. He wanted to share that with you and me. So when the Apostle Paul wrote his letters, by the way, how many epistles do we know that the Apostle Paul wrote? Any guesses? Any guesses? Thirteen. Thirteen of them, every single one. Every single one he intros by saying grace and peace. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul had experienced that in his own life as well. So you say, Pastor Dean, okay, I understand those promises, but I'm not experiencing that peace right now. What can I do? Well, I think very simple. Uh, Just three things come to mind, the ABCs, ABCs of experiencing peace. I'm sure there's others, but these have helped me. A is to ask, just to ask. Philippians 4 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto the Lord. And what? The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need to ask the Lord. Pray to him. Second of all, we need to be in the Spirit. We need to be in the Spirit. Be. Be in the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, if we live in the Spirit, let us stay in step with the Spirit. Well, think about that. The Spirit of God, when we trust Jesus, comes inside of us, right? He indwells us to live Christ's life out, and then we're to stay in step with Him. We're to stay in step as He moves. We're not to lag behind and let Him get too far ahead, right? We're not to get ahead of Him and do things on our own. We're not to go off the path and get away from where He's leading. No, we need to stay in step with Him. So we need to ask the Lord, we need to be in the Spirit, and C, C is to confess sin. We will not have peace in our life if we are harboring sin in our life, in thought and word and act. The psalmist said in Psalm 66, if I had cherished, if I had held on to sin in my life, the Lord would not have listened, right? We break that fellowship with the Lord, and we have to restore that. That's why 1 John 1, 9, a great verse to keep in mind, it says, if we confess, and that's the Greek word homologeo, we say the same thing. God is saying you've sinned. He knows it. 
We're not bringing anything. God, you won't believe what I just said. You won't believe what I just did. Now, God knows all of that. But we confess it. We say that. He says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ask and be in the Spirit and confess sin. Jesus said, if we are listening to him and his word, taking his promises, they will be a bridge over the troubles of life and we will experience and evidence peace in our life. Is that good? Yeah. Helps me. Second of all, Jesus said if we are taking his promise to heart, he said we will be enduring tribulation. He says in the world you will have tribulation. In the world, in the world, we live in the world. We have our home, we have our work, we have our school, we have our neighborhood, we have our church, we have the community we live in, we have family and friends. That's the world we live in. And Jesus said in the world you will experience tribulation. It's the Greek word thlipsis. It means a pressing together, an affliction, an oppression. You will have those things in your life. As I was thinking about this passage, I go, well, Lord, I really like most of your promises. I, I really don't like this promise very much. Why'd you do it? Why, why do you allow this? Well, I think the Lord does it to prepare us prepare us, and he does it to protect us. He does to protect us and to prepare us. Why? Because these things are going to happen in our life. We, are going, we live in a broken world, right? There are broken people. We live in a fallen world with fallen people, and we're fallen. We live in a sinful world, and there are sinful people. They do bad things, and we get experiences because of that, and we do things that hurt others. And we have a devil that hates us. All of those things go together. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. And so it reminds us that Jesus came to rescue us. To rescue us out of all of the fallenness and brokenness and sinfulness that is around us. He came to live a perfect life. We're going to celebrate that, his birth, in just a few weeks. He came and he lived a perfect life to be a perfect sacrifice, die on that cross, bear the punishment of sin that we deserve. And when we put our faith and trust in him and his work on the cross, his death and resurrection, he gives us forgiveness of sin and new life and eternal life. He came to rescue us. And because he rescued us and saved us, we are able to endure. And we are able to endure because he saved us. Think about that. He saved us so that we can endure through this life. And we endure through this life because he saved us and he is with us. So how do we do that? How do we endure? How do we endure when all this tribulation is happening? I think two things come to mind. One is to have a right perspective on it. A right perspective on it. James 1 says, consider it all what? Joy, my brothers and sisters, when you enter into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith brings endurance, steadfastness. We need to have the right perspective, understanding it comes, and to consider it all joy. And second of all, we need to have the right plan. We need to have the, the right plan, the understanding that uh, 
I have a course of action I can do. A passage of scripture that'd be great for all of us to memorize, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation, there's no troubled water, there's no test, there's no trial, there's no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the way of temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we endure by doing that. Did Jesus just tell us that? No, he modeled it. He modeled it. When you think about it, when Jesus began his ministry, he was in the wilderness for 40 days, right? And the devil came at him, not wanting Jesus to fulfill God the Father's plan. And so he tempted Jesus, right? And what was Jesus' response in the wilderness? Three times he quoted the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. At the end of Jesus' life, not in a wilderness, but in a garden. The devil came to him to keep him from fulfilling God's plan. And how did Jesus respond? What was Jesus' plan? He prayed once. He prayed twice. He prayed three times. God gives us the tools of the Word of God and prayer to be able to endure the tribulation that comes into our life. That's Jesus' promise for us. Thirdly, lastly, Jesus said this promise of a bridge over troubled water will help us to experience victory. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart. The Greek word there means to be cheerful, to cheer up, to be, to be courageous. And I was thinking about that. How can Jesus say that in the midst of all of that? Ah, because Jesus controls all the physical universe all the spiritual universe. Colossians 1, it says this, it says, for by him all things were created and by him all things hold together and he is before all things. Kids, think about that. Think about that when you go in your science class. Jesus holds every atom, every molecule of the universe together and if Jesus stopped doing that, there would be nothing. He holds it all together. Together. That's why he could say, Be of good cheer. I control everything. When did Jesus say that? Jesus is the only one, by the way, in the New Testament who says that phrase take heart. Because he can do those things. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 9, when you think about it, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is there and they, the friends lower the uh, disabled man, the paralytic man down in front of him. And Jesus looked at the man and said, take heart, your sins are forgiven. And then to prove that he could forgive sin, he healed the man. Just a short while later, Jesus was in this huge crowd and a woman who had been ill for 12 years, bleeding, just said, oh, if I could just even touch Jesus and just get close to him, she doesn't, she's healed. And Jesus stops and looks at the woman, she's afraid, and he says, take heart, woman, your faith has made you well. And then a few chapters later, the disciples are on the boat, Jesus has sent them there, and the storm comes up and they're afraid, and Jesus knows that, and he goes and he walks out on the water, and they see him coming, and they think it's a ghost, and they're afraid. He said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus says, take heart, be of good courage, be cheerful. And he says, I have overcome the world. 
I have overcome the world is the Greek word nikao, means to conquer. And it comes from the Greek word nike, means to be victorious, to have victory. Uh, there's a, a photo up here you can take a look at. The Greeks had a lot of false gods, a lot of uh, gods that they worshipped. And one of them was the goddess Nike. Nike, the goddess of victory. And when you look at the, her wing shape, what? It's in the form of a swoosh, right? And when Nike needed a logo and a name, they went and they found it there, victory, right? But kids and all of us, when you, next time you wear something from Nike uh, or you see something, don't think about the brand, don't think about a sports event, think about the victory we have in Christ, right? That's the true victory. Jesus said, I have overcome. And Jesus said it, I have overcome the world. Think about it. He hadn't died yet. He hadn't risen from the grave yet. But he said it as a fact because he knew it was going to happen. I have overcome the world. And I will do that. And you can count on it just as I've told you all these other promises. You can count on that. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory, nikao, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can live in that victory. Uh, another example of the Greeks, I like that because on my dad's side of the family, I'm Greek, so I'm partial to the Greeks. But uh, they were fighting the Persians, and the Persians sent a big army in to invade Greece, and the Greeks, uh, they were sending, they didn't have telecommunication, but they were sending runners back and forth, Athens, Sparta, other places to get troops, and they went and they faced them at the uh, place called Marathon, and at Marathon, they defeated this huge Persian army. Well, they wanted to get the word back to Athens and let them know that, so they found a, one of the runners. His name was Philippides, and he had been going back and forth, putting a lot of miles in between those city-states, and they said, go tell them of the victory that we have won, this great victory. And he ran the 26 plus miles from Marathon back into Athens, and he comes into the city, and all he says is, Nakao, victory, victory. Of course, legend has it that he killed over and died. So I don't know how good of a story uh, it was for Philippides, but the point is the army won the victory, and the people now experience the victory. Jesus wins the victory on the cross for us. And we can experience that. He had the victory. We can have that victory in our life. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. Oh, he loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Jesus promises us the bridge over trouble war, this bridge passage will allow us, you and me, to be able to experience victory in our life. So we close. We close this series on the promises of God, taking his word to heart. And we have to remember that God is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper. The psalmist said, this is my comfort and my affliction that your promises give me life. Did Jesus' promises give you life? Give me life. Today's promise is that whatever tribulation, whatever temptation, whatever trial, whatever test, whatever troubled water you and I may be facing, we can have peace because of the victory that Christ paid for, the victory that's ours in him. 
I, I was born in Chicago in the city, grew up in the suburbs, but familiar with some of this story, but I, it came later, I got to know a little bit more of it. Uh, in uh, 1871, a successful businessman and lawyer and church member named Horatio Spofford uh, made some investments in the city of Chicago in the spring of 1871. He was affiliated with D.L. Moody, the great pastor and evangelist. In October of 1871, the story goes, Mrs. O'Leary is milking her cow and the cow kicks over a lantern and it begins the Chicago fire. Historians have said that's probably not true because she wouldn't be milking a cow at night. And most likely, though, somebody broke in trying to steal milk, steal some other things, kicked over a lantern. The fire started, and in a matter of days, 100,000 people were homeless in the city of Chicago. 3.5 square miles destroyed in the city. Horatio Spofford lost his investments that he had just taken out. He began to rebuild. And two years later, in 1873, he had done well enough to say, let's go on a family trip. With his wife, Anna, daughters Annie, who were 12, Maggie, who was 7, Bessie, who was 4, and an 18-month-old little daughter, four daughters. Let's go on this trip to Europe. And just before they were to go, Spofford had a business situation come up and he couldn't go. But he said, Anna, take the kids and go. And they went and they traveled on that ship that's up there and they travel and as they approached Europe, tragically another ship came and collided with them and their ship sank. And only Anna, the mom, survived. She was rescued and brought to Europe. She telegraphed her husband Horatio and said only these two words, saved alone, saved alone. And his brokenness and heartbreak and, and distraught. He buys a ticket. He goes to comfort his wife. And as he gets close to the shore of Europe, the captain comes down and says, Mr. Spofford, this is the area where the ship went down and your daughters were lost. And because he experienced the troubled waters, but he knew the victory that came from Christ, Horatio Spofford was able to write one of the great hymns of the Christian faith. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. That is the greatest promise we can have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Your word, Lord, we trust that it will accomplish its purpose in all of our lives as we think about your grace and goodness, your promises of peace and victory even in the midst of the trials and troubles of life. So Lord, grow us closer to you today. Lord, if there be anyone here 
that has not yet experienced that true victory by knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord, may today be that day that they yield their lives to him, trust him, be born again and begin walking in that victory with that peace that only you can bring. Lord, we ask that as we approach the table today, you prepare our hearts. Lord, we ask for forgiveness that we could come to the table as clean vessels. Forgive us where we've stumbled and fallen in our thought, in our word, our act, our character, our conduct, and create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us that we may partake joyfully as we commemorate your death on a cross as we celebrate your glorious, joyous, victorious resurrection. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.